I want to thank you for your prayers for Cheryl and I as we were in England with the bishop. We were with uh, all three of the bishops, all most of the superintendents of the uh, United States Church. There were 45 of us. And it was an amazing experience going around to the different places where Wesley was born and what happened to him and how it developed. And uh, we just thank you for it. It only rained the first day when we were trying to get from the tube to the uh, hotel and our suitcases were soaked. But other than that, it was actually very, very uh, beautiful. I, I have been waking up, you know, about three in the morning. And so, you know, I'm still a little bit jet lagged. So if I say something really stupid, let me know. And uh, just raise your hand. I'll be glad to repeat the stupid uh, thing I said uh, as we enter in. Outside of Christmas Eve, which is the candlelight communion service, which is one of the most beautiful of all the Christian services of the year, today is a very special day. It's Worldwide Communion Sunday. It's not a part of the Christian year, per se, it's something that was actually started when there was a desire to see the Church of Jesus Christ worldwide uh, come together in great solidarity of our faith in who Jesus Christ is. And so for the last 18 hours since the International Dateline Christians began to start celebrating the sacrament, people all over the world have joined together in this sacred moment. It's an amazing a transforming, mystery-filled, sacred moment that we all as Christians and all the nations share. But of course, I, I shouldn't have to say this, but uh, in the kind of world in which we live, it's necessary for me to say that on this Worldwide Christian uh, Sunday, Worldwide Communion Sunday, it's not just the men who partake of the sacrament. It's the women also. The Christian faith is the restoration of humanity back to Eden, back to God's intention, where God created male and female in his image and allows us in this wonderful uh, complexity and difference to express the full unity of who God is. But as you know, when Adam and Eve rejected God's plan and, and decided to go their own way, the result was painful labor. It's painful labor on both the man and the woman's side in different ways, but still very painful toil. And then there was this additional statement that was made to Eve, that the woman would come under male dominance, patriarchal control, that he will rule over you, is the way the, the Hebrew says it. Now that sin that was present then and now today and has been throughout all of history and throughout all the cultures of the world is the subjugation of women and the lack of equality in our various ways in which they are treated. But that was not God's intention, either before the fall or after the restoration made possible through Jesus Christ. In the Christian world, Paul explains that everything is going to be fixed. It's going to be restored. It's going to be renewed. We're going to be able to return to God's intention, where in fact, as Paul explains it, there is not Jew nor Gentile. This racial uh, struggle that happens throughout the world should not and is not to happen within the church. We are not defined by the race or nationality. We're defined by the fatherhood of God 
in which we are all brothers and sisters in his family. It's neither slave nor free, and we talked about this last month when we participated in the Holy Sacrament, that it doesn't have to do with being rich or poor, slave or free, a person who's able to have great assets in the world or nothing in the world. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're all human beings created in his image. And it's neither male nor female. We are, in fact, one in Christ, and we are one in identity and purpose and in life. Now, that's the, the uh, restoration call that has been placed upon the church for 2,000 years. We have, in some periods of time, done better than others, but it's a continual struggle because it's a part of the fall. It's a part of the, the broken nature of humanity, of male uh, opinions and attitudes, and it, it doesn't just come from uh, various uh, races or backgrounds or uh, generations or socioeconomic levels. It's, it's pervasive throughout all of humanity. So as we prepare for the sacrament today and recognizing that we're all equal at the foot of the cross and that together we're going to participate in this sacred moment, we're going to go back to that moment in Eden when God created the woman. And we're going to understand what his intention was at that moment when he created. The, Rome, the uh, creation account of, uh, of Genesis 1, as you know, as I showed you earlier, is uh, just a simple statement. Male and female, he created them. And then in the second account... He goes into a little more detail on that, a, a kind of a microcosm of the larger uh, description. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 18 through 24. Genesis chapter 2, very first book of the Bible, the very second chapter of it. We're going to start with verse 18 and go through verse 24. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. A name was considered giving uh, the identity. So the man gave names to all the livestock, all the domesticated animals, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, when we enter into uh, this place, we step out of a world that is so broken and has so much uh, difficulty. And yet we often bring that brokenness into the sanctuary and into the community of God. 
we're here today to understand and to bring your wholeness and your healing, your restoration into this, our family. We ask that you do it uniquely within each of us, but that you do it specifically through the sacrament as we partake together. Allow this to be a moment of deep healing of this uh, broken, sinful urges that we all have to deal with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps the most misunderstood word in this whole area of male and female relationships, and it's even true within Christendom itself, is the word helper. God says of the man that it's not good for him to be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable for the man. Now, in first blush, if you, if you only know English and you think that that word means what we understand it to mean in the English language, you'll be inclined to think that he made a servant for the man. He made a servant who would help the man with his life. So that even before the fall then, it was God's intention for the man to rule over the woman and the woman to be in a subservient helper uh, relationship. But that's just not true of the Hebrew language in any indication. In fact, if you want to take it to its uh, uh, obvious conclusion, if any hierarchy is described in the word that is used here, it would actually be the other way around. The Hebrew word that is used there is hezer. It does mean to help, but most often it's used in scripture to describe God. God as our hezer. God as our helper. It's a word that comes not from a position of weakness to help, but strength to help. In fact, a superior strength to help. It's a word describing help without which we would be lost. We need to be rescued. We need to be saved. Hezar is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Of that, 16 times refer to God's Hezar, God as our helper. And two times here, as we just read, it's used to describe Eve as that first woman that was given to the man who should not be alone so that she, he could be assisted by this superior strength of the woman. Suitable. So the first biblical description that we have of a woman, if you want to be biblical in the way we look at uh, who a woman is, she is a saving strength who is uniquely fitted for union with the man. The concept is that they are both in equal need of saving, though it's not intended to be hierarchical one way or the other. It is, in fact, a saving strength and the word there is neged. The woman is has a neged. That's a very rich word. It means that it's not just a saving strength, but a saving strength that is corresponding to, or parallel with, or in front of, as in face to face, standing together in this uh, journey of life. This is further explained when the man himself, and then God's explanation that these two powerful descriptive ontological statements are made about men and women. The man says it this way when he describes what he sees. This is now bone of my bone. He's seen all the animals. He knows this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. The Hebrew word there is isha. I just think that's such a great word, isha. 
And just like a wow, man. <laughs> and she was taken out of man. Man is ish in the language. And then God describes they are so uniquely suited for each other that their union not only creates a new family where the man leaves his father and mother and joins with her, but their union can only be described as one flesh. They are no longer two, but they are face to face. Hezar Neged, saving strengths in each other's lives. The last time, as I said earlier in the service, when we served the sacrament of Holy Communion, we focused on the truth that all humanity is equal at the foot of the cross. The beautiful thing of the sacrament is that it is a moment when everyone recognizes in equal measure that we need forgiveness. We need to confess our sins. We need to confess not only the things that we've done that have harmed others, but the things that we didn't do that we should have done that would have stood up for others and helped them in their journey. We also come together and partake of the very same elements as we experience this wonderful equal footing at the cross. Rich, poor, slave-free, male, female, we're all equal before him. Today we just continue with that emphasis that the lectionary has taken us on and make an obvious statement that sadly is not so obvious throughout the world, nor is it necessarily obvious throughout history or even through the church, that women and men are both equal in their eternal, infinite, and absolute sense. In anything that matters, we are equal, as are all races and all backgrounds. Each of us are invited to the table, and we're given an equal place in every way. I have enjoyed uh, greatly having a Hezer Neged in my life named Cheryl. Uh, she is a person who has stood face-to-face -face with me, and many times when I needed that face-to-face uh, -face, uh, counsel, understanding, correction, strength, help in becoming a, a better person, a better child of God, a better pastor. But I've also, for decades now, had the privilege of sitting at the table of leadership with women who are elders in our congregation, women of deep faith, deep wisdom, strength, the ability to rescue and save the words that need to be said. I've had the great privilege of them helping me to become a better pastor and person and leader within the life of this church. It has become such a central part of my experience and our experience as a congregation that now when I'm in a ministry context, as I've had to take responsibility now for other churches, that when I sit down with a group of men and there's no woman equal at the table speaking into what we are deciding and leading and doing, I experience a, a tremendous handicap. And it's not just the handicap of a perspective, a different perspective. It's a handicap of strength, of real wisdom, uh, a saving kind of presence that allows us 
to do the work in, in uh, more complete ways. And it's also something that, that confronts that patriarchal and male privilege uh, way of thinking that the male blindness can so easily do whenever we're doing ministry or life together. About 20 years ago, those of you who have been around that long, it might have even been 30 years ago, I remember very distinctly giving a sermon on this text, and I talked about his Ernegad. And I talk about how important it is for every person, whether we're married or unmarried, to have a relationship with someone that is face-to-face, -face, that in fact speaks directly into who we are and what it means to be us and what it means to be human, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a child of God. And I would still very much affirm that, that these words apply not just for those who are married, but for every human being, that we need to have a face-to-face, -face, deep relationship with someone who speaks into our lives. Uh, I would only add now, after uh, 20 or 30 more years of ministry, that it is helpful when the other is significantly different from us. Uh, not, not just gender, but in background, nationality, racial understanding, age. Uh, Any time that you have a face-to-face -face conversation with someone who is not same, but they are other, you begin to understand a deeper sense of your own humanity, the larger humanity, and God himself. For the word holy simply means other, other than us, holy. And to know and love and care for the other is something that's significant in the Hezarneged kind of relationship. And so wherever we are in our lives and whatever our circumstance, we need to have deep relationships that allow us to grow and to develop in that. This morning we are attempting to live in this Christian restoration of returning to Eden, where all human beings are treated with equality, where we are equally before God as we walk in the cool of the day or partake of the sacrament. Throughout the life of our church, we hear the male and the female voice joining in unison, in song and in prayer, in the reading of scripture, the speaking of the word, the celebration of the sacrament. We walk, kneel, partake, pray, sing, study, face to face within a family of God. So this morning we invite everyone here to, in whatever a distinction you might find yourself to be in this great human complexity, we invite you to come forward, to make your honest confession to Almighty God, to receive the Holy Sacrament to your comfort, we serve open communion. That means this isn't a religious thing. This is a real thing. This is a true thing. This is an encounter with God. This is something that we invite every person. If you are human, you are invited to the table. And so we invite you. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. You are welcome at the foot of the cross and at the table of our Lord.